to mini episode 74 of Real Life Ghost Stories. We have five lovely listener stories for you today. And story number one comes from Hayden. For context, I'm 22 years old, live in the UK and work an engineering job. I like to think that I'm a very rational, logical person who can think and debunk anything with logic and facts. The paranormal was essentially a lie to me that I thought people told for attention and I was completely a cynic and an unbeliever. Until the event that took place two years ago. That changed everything. The backstory goes like this. My mother feeds an old lady seven cats when she and her husband go abroad to their villa in Spain on holiday. They can go for sometimes six weeks at a time. In that time, my mother is tasked with feeding those cats twice a day. Two years ago, my mother had a holiday booked for when the elderly couple were also going on holiday. My mother asked if I could go to the house and feed them for her while she was away. The house is very old, large and beautiful, surrounded by private woodland and a long, sweeping gravel driveway. It has tennis courts, manicured gardens and vines growing all up the walls of the house. Inside is a different story. Being an elderly couple who owned the house, everything was old. The entrance hall had old pictures hanging up, maybe past relatives. There was old furniture, old lamps and old rugs on the floor. The house had always creeped me out as a teenager when I had been with my mother occasionally purely out of curiosity. I never ventured upstairs and that was because the top landing was full of about 20 glass-eyed dolls and stuffed animals. I was alone when I went to feed their cats at around 6pm in the summer. It was still light outside, but cloud covered the sky. I had taken a bike to cycle over there and had been given the key by my mother before she left for her trip. I opened the large Grand Oak front door and stepped through into the porch and breathed in the familiar scent of old people and cats. I walked through the hallway and pushed open the kitchen door to feed the waiting seven cats. Once the cats were feeding I had about five minutes to spare to wait for them to finish and I would then clean their bowls and walk out and go home. Except this time curiosity overcame me when I saw a piano in the dining room off the kitchen through the glass-paned door. I only had an electronic keyboard at home and I had always wanted to play an acoustic piano. I had always been with my mother when I came here and never got the chance to explore. I glanced at the cat still eating and thought I could spare a few minutes and play a song or two. I pushed open the glass panel door that led into the dining room and took in an unfamiliar smell of old mahogany wood. It was slightly chillier than inside the kitchen. I looked around and saw two or three dolls sitting on the mantelpiece above the fireplace. Large candle stands towered in the centre of the dining table and old-style silverware and china plates were neatly laid out ready for a meal. Amongst other things in the room were two armchairs, a tall coat hanger stand and a large, beautifully polished mahogany piano. I stepped over to it and raised its key cover lid. I sat down on the stool and began to play Coldplay's Fly, which was a personal favourite. I played this for the entire length of the song and it sounded fantastic on the old acoustic piano. I finished the song by fading out the last chord and that's when I noticed something above me in the corner. Above me in the corner was a cat dial mobile, like one of those things that hang above a baby's bed to calm them. This was similar but had large black cats hanging down from them in different directions. I didn't notice so much that they were cats, but that the entire dial was frantically swinging and spinning out of control. 
Let me clarify this by saying that there was no wind. There was no draft. There was no logical reason for this dial to be thrashing above me in the corner. I was frozen. I couldn't explain it. That's when I felt cold. Really cold. Maybe it was a reaction to seeing something unexplainable in an unfamiliar house. The room was cold and I had goosebumps up and down my back and my legs began to shake. I closed the lid of the piano, very slowly and gently, and said out loud, I'm sorry, I will go now. What I saw next will stay with me for the rest of my life. In the reflection of the polished wood of the piano, I saw a blurred image of a woman in the corner behind me. She looked old and tired like the house. It was a blurry image and I remember seeing that she had very pale hands that were laid on her hips and a pale white oval for a face. A long straight black dress covered her full length. I wanted to cry from the adrenaline shot my body had just released inside of me as a response to the shock at what I was witnessing. My body was frantically deciding between the fight or flight primal response and my stomach felt like it had turned inside out. I then watched in horror and disbelief as the old woman walked very slowly behind me sideways, but not coming near until she disappeared out of the reflection and out of my field of view as if she was directly behind me. I must have been frozen now for a good minute and found the explosive courage to get up, turn around and bolt out of the dining room. As I went, I ran straight into the tall coat hanger stand that had somehow moved directly behind me from the corner of the room. I made an animalistic cry and bolted out of the room, through the kitchen, ignoring the cats, through into the hallway and out the front door. I got on my bike and didn't dare to look back with tears in my eyes until I cycled back home. Since this event, two years on, I am a sole believer now in ghosts, the paranormal and the strange experiences that cannot be explained through logic and reason, which is what has led me to your podcasts. I still remember it vividly and I will never go back to that house again. By the way, the cats were fine. This happened on the last day that I was to feed them and my mother took over again. She's old school and doesn't believe in anything like that. And story number two comes from Heather. My name is Heather and I live in Scotland. I am now 30 years old, but allow me to transport you back to 23 years ago. When I was seven in my childhood home with our family dog Max, who was very important in this story, my mum and my wee sister. When I was five, my parents divorced. It was a very amicable divorce. After my dad moved out, my mum turned his office into my bedroom. I was chuffed. I loved having my own room. I had my own TV and PlayStation. As I was very young, I do not remember the specific date, day or time of the following events, but they will stay with me for the rest of my life. One summer's night, I woke with a feeling of sheer terror that paralysed me in bed. I wanted to scream for my mum, but I just couldn't. As I turned my head towards the door, I realised I was staring into the bright blood-red eyes and slowly I took in that it was a dog. But a big dog. Bigger than a wolf. Hairy and jet, jet black and solid. It stared back silently. Something primal told me to flee, but I couldn't as it sat in front of my exit. Slowly I sat up and backed up, pushing myself against the wall behind me. It was at this point 
that the wolf stood up and slowly began to move towards me. I remember feeling tears running down my face and the terror and dread build in me I knew I was going to die. At this point, my bedroom door creaked ever so slightly and my German shepherd Max came into my room, heckles raised, teeth showing, growling with his head hung low. I have never seen him like this, as our dog was a gentle giant, who never even barked, which meant that growling was out of the question. The wolf turned, growling back at my dog, who began slowly advancing on the wolf as his growl deepened. At this point the wolf suddenly became like a gloopy shadow, melting to the floor and then slid under my bed. I then heard a voice inside my head as clear as day tell me, Go. Go now. Run. And I began scrambling to the edge of the bed. Just as I was about to put my foot down, something in my gut told me that if I do, I'll be dragged away and never seen again. So I stood on top of the bed and jumped as far as I could towards the door. My dog immediately shielded me, growling, and when I turned back, I could see the bright blood red eyes glowing from under my bed. The next morning my mum discovered me in bed with my wee sister and our dog laid across my legs protectively, as if keeping me anchored to the bed. That day I told my mum I no longer wanted to sleep in that room, and she looked at me and simply said, okay, supportive as always. I suppose she just thought I was scared being on my own. It was years later, my mid-twenties, before I told my mum what happened in that room. In our old childhood home, and being the protective mother that she is, she was horrified that I never told her until now. I do strongly believe that if I told her at the time what occurred, that demon dog under my bed would have received a serious ass-kicking. However, like I said, it has been years later, and I've experienced weird things on and off throughout my life, but I have never forgotten what happened that night in the end room of my childhood home, And all these years later, I still cannot sleep on a bed that is raised off the ground. Also, if you're interested in some backstory my mum informed me about myself. My mother revealed to me that she would often hear me speaking to people who weren't there when I was between four and nine. She came into the room once and I was having a conversation with the corner of the wall, as you do, and she asked me who I was speaking to. I explained that I was talking to the lady and my mum naturally asked, What lady? And it was at this point that I went on to perfectly describe my mum's Aunt Nan, a lady who had apparently been my mother's favourite aunt who she loved dearly, but who had passed away before I was born. After this incident, one of my aunts, who was and still is into mediums, was attending a session. After all the crazy stuff going on in the house, my mum decided to go along as well. I should point out that my mum believes to an extent, but not enough to normally attend sessions, but she believed that this gives people some comfort so would never say anything rude on the subject. Anyway, if you remember at this point in our lives, I had not told my mum about the demon dog thing and would not do so for many years. My mum told me, Your aunt and I went into what was like a big manor house, and as I entered, a feeling of peace washed over me. I was making my way towards the seats when a woman placed her hand on me and told me that I possessed the gift. I simply said sarcastically, Oh, okay then. The woman beside me looked me in the eyes and smiled warmly and then spoke to someone who was not there, someone who could not be seen. I see what you were meaning and she began to laugh. My mum told me at this point she did become slightly unnerved. However, the medium then went on to tell her that another in her home possessed the gift and used it far more openly. My mum told me that her eyes grew larger upon hearing that 
and she then said, You know who I speak of, a child, gentle, loving, honest and not prone to lies. My mum nodded. My mum said the lady's entire demeanour began to change and she started to frown. Staring deep into my mum's eyes, she told her very seriously, That little angel is in danger, visited by one who would want to steal and destroy. Her abilities put her at risk. My mum was sick with worry hearing that I could be in danger and asked what she could do to keep me safe. The medium said, The lady your daughter described protects her for now as best she can, but when you hear her speaking with people she must be stopped, distracted and moved to another room. Also, that room in your home must remain closed and no child can enter it. Needless to say, for my mum it will be done. I was amazed hearing all of this for the first time and I told my mum about some of the other things I had seen and heard over the years. To which she always tells me very seriously, just do not acknowledge it and do not speak back. It's nice to finally tell someone about it, other than my mum, who won't think that I'm completely crazy. And story number three comes from Linda. I'm a hospital corpsman in the USN and I was on my second tour of duty, working at a naval hospital. At the time, I was lower ranking and always got the shit end of the stick when it came to the shit work. I worked on L&D at the time and we would work shifts. For six weeks you were on days and six weeks you were on nights. Well, as you know, some beautiful babies don't get to live their lives to the fullest. With these babes we have a process where the families can grieve and then we take the babies to the morgue. We call this the Green Mile. There had been rumours that part of the hospital was haunted, however that was in a totally different building, so I never stressed about taking the babies down. Not once did I have an issue with anything spooky even though it still gave me the creeps. The linen room was right next to the morgue. There was a door with a window that led to the morgue from this room. At night, the lights were off except one row towards the front. That row lit up just enough of the room to scare the living shit out of you. Every shift, someone had to go and get brand new linen carts for the next shift. Here I am, pregnant as balls, taking these things down because I'm lower ranking than most and new to the deck. Minding my business, getting my little pregnant waddle on, dancing to music on my phone and taking them down. I totally forgot that the morgue was down there until the elevator doors opened. All of the chills. This was my first night shift. I said to myself, stop being ridiculous, get the linen carts and go back upstairs. You watch too many movies. I got the carts all lined up and went in to get the new ones. As soon as the door opened to the linen room, it was like every hair I had stood on end. I did not want to be there. I was ready to turn around and nope the fuck away. Again, I was like, get a grip and don't make a bad name for yourself. I walk in and went to where our carts would be. This was walking close to the morgue door. As I was walking, I swear I saw someone walk past the little window on the morgue door. I was shitting myself. Get the carts and go, get the carts and go, get out, someone has to be playing a joke. That was all I could think. I put my hand on the cart and something told me to turn around. Why? Who knows? As soon as I did, the light row flickers and all of the lights turn off. I am standing there breathing heavy like I'd run a marathon. I was left in what little light there was from the window, and my contraction started. 
I was stressed. I was now hunched over, breathing through them, and in the back of the room, it sounded like someone was walking towards me. I said, fuck this, if this baby is coming out, it is not going to be here. I started pushing those carts as fast as I could to where the door should be. The door's automatic, so here I was, hearing the machines of it clicking, like it was supposed to open, but it wasn't. At this point, I have fluid running down my legs, and I was thinking, this is it. I'm going to die, and my baby is going with the Tom Hanks wannabe. I was crying, sweating, and yelling. I was trying to get out of there, beating on the door. The steps were getting closer, and I was thinking, nope, 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 nope. And then the lights came on, the door opens, and out I came without the carts. Fuck them, we don't need linens. I didn't care anymore, I wasn't going back in there. I made it back up to the labour deck in a panic. I was crying, dishevelled, and my waters had broke. I told my favourite nurse what had happened, and I told her that I thought my waters had broke. I went into the room to get checked for any fluids, etc., all the while someone else goes and gets the linen. My friend just said I was contracting and wasn't able to get them. They came back and reported nothing crazy, but there was fluid on the floor. I was thinking, okay, that's just my amniotic fluid, someone should call housekeeping. So all the tests came back, and my waters had not broken which means that in layman's terms, I peed my pants. This Tom Hanks wannabe made me pee my pants. That was how scared I was. I never went back there by myself and I never went back there at night, period. I never told anyone this ever again other than that one friend. And story number four comes from Chrissy. As I've talked about a couple of times in the Facebook group, I moved out of the city in June while keeping my apartment to spend the summer living at my family's cottage near Algonquin Park here in Canada. The cottage was built by my great-grandfather, ironically called Spooks, in 1936. I love it here. This is the place I am happiest and feel the safest, for the most part. See, very rarely there have been incidents and I'm pretty sure it's my grandmother. My Granny Carol passed unexpectedly at the age of 56 in 1993. She and my mum were best friends, and I'm lucky enough to have a similar relationship with my mum. When Granny Carol was cremated, it was decided to spread her ashes around the cottage because she loved it here. All but a handful of her ashes were spread around the building, and the rest were put into a novelty jug as part of a running joke between her and my mother that sits on the shelf that runs along one wall of the cottage. But that's not all of her that's here. There is a plastic dirigible that was purchased for my dad's 30th birthday. My grandmother was the one who blew it up and it is her breath that's inside of it. It has stayed hanging from the ceiling since it was hung up on August the 4th 1990 and has remained inflated to this day. So as of the beginning of June 2020, I started living alone at this cabin with my grandmother's ashes and a plastic dirigible full of her breath. Sounds like the beginning of a horror film, I know, but honestly, aside from making that joke myself, I wasn't at all concerned. At least not until near the end of the month. It was a hot night and I couldn't sleep. I was laying in bed, hoping to eventually doze off when I heard clear footsteps walk briskly right past my window. The sound is a distinct one. I could hear the slap of bare feet on the path that goes right past my window to the cottage door. The sound of footsteps that wouldn't have scared me except 
that while there are other cottages nearby, no one was up yet. It was just me. Also, there is a motion-activated light there that would be set off by anything physical, including wildlife. A few days later, my folks came up to visit and I mentioned it to them. My mum admitted that she has heard the same thing many times and that sometimes it's running like a kid runs from the beach after a swim. She also told me that apparently I have heard it before as well. All those times I thought she walked past my window when we were staying up there when I was a kid? Yeah, it was never her. She never corrected me because she didn't want to scare me. As we discussed this, even my does-not-believe-in-ghosts dad chimed in that he had heard it too. I asked when the earliest anyone could remember hearing it was and my mum couldn't remember ever hearing it before adulthood or before Granny Carol passed. I think it might be her. Either some residual imprint of her childhood or maybe just her coming up from a swim to check on us. This wouldn't be the first time she's made her presence known here. Several years ago, mum and I were staying here on vacation together. Thunderstorms had been rolling through most of the day, so we had unplugged the stereo that sat directly under my grandmother's ashes and sat talking about life in general. We ended up, as we do every so often, talking about Granny Carol and wondering what our lives would have been like if we'd had more time with her. The moment the conversation lulled as we finished our imaginings, the silence was broken as the stereo turned itself on, and through the static we heard the words, Don't worry about me, I'm still here before the sound returned to pure static. The stereo was unplugged and turned off. I'd unplugged it myself. Not only that, but it shouldn't have been able to produce words. At the time, there were no radio stations that could reach the area and the stereo itself was a cast-off from my uncle because it had no antenna anymore. We used it as a CD player. Mum and I stared at each other, frozen before confirming that we both heard the same thing. Scared shitless because thanks grandma but also kind of fuck you, we listened to the static and wondered if it would happen again but nothing more came through. I got up, turned off the stereo and promptly unplugged it saying, thanks granny Carol, message received, we're glad you're okay but maybe don't do that again right now because it scared the fuck out of us, thank you. As disconcerting as these moments are when they happen, it makes me glad to think that some part of my grandmother is still around. I was so young when she passed, I only have a few memories of her, but they are filled with a deep and encompassing love. Knowing she and my mum were as close as my mum and I are, I'm really not at all surprised she would be hanging around. So long as she leaves the radio alone, she's welcome. And story number five comes from Abbott. This one occurred at my ex-boyfriend's childhood home. It was spring break at college and I opted to stay with him. His parents were on vacation, as were his brother and sister, so we had the house to ourselves. He warned me that the basement had weird vibes, as his brother's friend had done some sort of black magic ritual down there. Since then, there had been scratching noises in the walls and in the ceiling. After an hour, I was able to debunk their scratching as squirrels in the walls. We spent the evening without incident and went to bed at midnight. At three in the morning, I woke up needing to go to the toilet, His bedroom was on the second floor landing, his sister's room was across from him and the bathroom was facing the stairs. I stumbled to the bathroom and flipped on the light. I did my business and washed my hands. As I stood in the doorway, hand on the light switch, I was nearly knocked off my feet by this utter nauseating sense of dread. I felt sick knowing that I had to walk through the pitch black landing to my boyfriend's room. 
The fear hadn't hit me when I went to the bathroom the first time, perhaps because I was still half asleep. Now I just had the sense that something bad was going to happen to me if I tried to cross it in the dark. So why didn't I leave the light on and go to my boyfriend's room? I don't know. Perhaps there was some sense of disbelief at what I was feeling. Perhaps I didn't want to disturb my boyfriend's sleep with something silly like this. After all, it was the basement that was supposedly haunted. A voice in my head told me to shut my eyes and not open them until I had reached his room. So with my shaking hands, I turned the light off. I counted my steps, knowing that there were ten. One. Two. Three. Four. On the fifth... I had my hands tentatively stretched ahead of me feeling for the banister that marked the halfway point. My toes connected with the banister first and then my fingers felt the cool wood under them. I stopped, gripping the banister as if it was a lifeline. I was ready to breathe a sigh of relief. But something else was breathing too. I felt it on the back of my neck, a cool wind directed at the nape of my neck. I could feel the toes of its shoes brush the back of my heels. The hairs on the back of my arm stood up and it went very, very cold. I felt frozen in place. I wanted to turn around and look but that voice in my head was screaming at me to run. I ran, eyes clamped shut, banging open his door, slamming it shut and locking it. I turned the light on as well, waking him up and I told him everything. And that's when he told me what else had gone on in the house. When he was a boy, he used to sleep with his door open. At night, he would wake up to a figure standing by the banister, staring at him. For a long time, he thought it was his father. But once he asked his dad, and his dad informed him that he never did that. His brother also commented on the figure by the banister as he shared a room with my boyfriend once. His mother said too, that when he was three and playing by the same banister, he was thrown down the steps by something. Finally, his sister's friend stayed in her room, and one night they woke up to being strangled, but nobody was there. Needless to say, both of us got no sleep for the rest of that night, and I never stayed at his house again. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find out everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can also send your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. And on that note, we shall see you next week.